That was a go. That was a go. All right. Um, my talk for today is called Cover to Cover. So we're going to cover the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in 30 minutes or less. What do you think? Huh? And we're going to have some audience participation. Um, I know we kind of sit here and, and we all, um, we don't say a lot, but I, I really need some people to volunteer and be vocal and stuff like that and get excited for a minute. All right? So cover to cover. What we're basically going to try to uh, explain here is what, what is, you know, people say the Bible is too complicated and I don't understand it and, you know, it's just... But really, it's not. You know, we, we kind of we fool ourselves when we say stuff like that, when we say, it's, oh, it's too complicated. It's got a basic theme from the front to the back, Amen. from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's a theme in there. And once you kind of understand that theme, then all the rest of the parts, I'm not saying there aren't some complicated parts in there, but all the rest of the parts kind of fall into that. Okay? All right, so... Let's start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Y'all ready? Then God said, do I, does this look okay, me looking back there reading? Okay. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image and our own likeness so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 26, going all the way to 31. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw all he had made, including man, and it was very good. And, th and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So all this amounts to is God made man. So step one, we, we made man and we want to fellowship. God wants to fellowship with man. God loves man. He wants to fellowship with man. And so he's going to put him in the Garden of Eden. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of 
the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. You ever been watching them um, uh, uh, crime movies I mean, or suspense movies on TV? And, they, and they, uh, they say something like, well, make sure you don't do that. Or a little kid, like, don't do that. What are they going to do? Exactly that, right? And then he said he was going to make man a helper. You can say, oh, boy, I bet this is going to be trouble, right? All right, so let's jump into Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We, 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 we skipping along here. but And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Remember, this was the fruit they're not supposed to eat. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Twelve. And now we get, this, this is like politician training 101. Right here. This is, this is it. This is it. And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It was her fault. Thirteen. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent saved me and I ate it. Politicians, one-on-one, politics, one-on-one. All right. Now, what has happened now is God wanted man, and he wanted to fellowship with man. But now what has man done? Man has sinned. And so now there is a gap between God and man. Now, we are going to spend thousands of years and the whole rest of the Bible trying to fix that. You know what I mean? That has to be remedied. So it is a whole, God wants his family of people not only to fellowship with him, but he wants them to be able to come close to him and be redeemed. Redeemed means like bought back with a price, right? So he's going to have, somebody's got to pay a price to buy mankind's back. And put him in fellowship with God. But as we see here. Adam, Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden. But man's wickedness filled the earth. You know if man is left by himself. He is a sin machine. He is just always thinking of bad things to do. Right? Whole book. Whole book of people. Who did bad? Who who did not do good? And those are the good people. Those are, this ain't even about the bad people. This is the good people who did bad, right? Man needs God's help. 
So as the wickedness filled the earth, God flooded it. And then everybody but Noah. And then one of Noah's descendants, Abraham, God made it a covenant with Abraham. We're going to cover the whole Bible here. So you, you get ready. All right. Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will now be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant. Covenant's just a contract, right? As an everlasting covenant contract between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. See, again, God is trying to gather his people. Is that as far as I go? I got one more. And the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So he is promising Abraham that he will walk blamelessly before him and follow his words. Then God will give him all his land. He'll make him a father of many nations. Abraham is, is the father of faith. Okay? Does this make sense so far? Now, does? 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 Tommy, you okay? All right. All right, here we go. So after Abraham, we're going to go real fast through some of this right here. But I got, we got to go from here. We got to go all the way from Abraham and get to Jesus, right? So I'm not, we're not going to look up any scriptures in here. I'm just going to reel through it, all right? Check me out. Make sure I get it right. So Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons was Joseph. Joseph got the people to move to Egypt to avoid the famine. The Egyptians didn't put up with them for about 150, 200 years, and then they started making them slaves. Moses went in there and got them out. Remember, miracle after miracle, got them out of Egypt. Now, this is a part where, the, 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 where God starts to remedy the sin problem, the sin problem that has divided his people from him, right? So when he's in the wilderness and with Moses, he gives him the Ten Commandments. He gives them all sorts of laws and rituals that they have to go through where the priests have to offer blood sacrifices. And those blood sacrifices cover the sins of the people. Okay? Makes sense? Makes sense? So he's covering the sins. He's not getting rid of them, but he's covering the sins, so the law has been given to try to make the people behave a little better. He has sin sacrifices to kind of cover the sins so he can fellowship with the people more than he could before. And now Joshua leads the people into the promised land. He's a good guy. He keeps 
keeps the uh, God's laws. Once they're in the promised land, God starts uh, ruling his people with the tribal leaders, the 12 tribes that are there. And then he brings in some judges, if you remember, like Gideon and Samuel and Deborah and those kind of people. But the people really want a king. They want a king like everybody else has got a king. They want a king. So they appoint King Saul. Big mistake. King Saul doesn't end up being a very good guy. But after Saul comes a man after God's own heart, a man, David. David becomes king. And David establishes a kingdom up until his son Solomon takes over. And then Solomon leads the Jewish family, God's family, to the pinnacle of their existence, right? They got money. They got wealth. People send them stuff from all over just as, just as a gift. They're at peace. Solomon is leading the, one of the most powerful countries in the world at that time. This is, this is it for the Israelis. But Solomon has a lot of wives. See, I tell you, those women were going to cause problems. Anyway, he has a lot of wives. And the problem with that is every one, of the, when every one of those wives he has, whatever God they worship, Solomon takes his turn worshiping that God as well. So Solomon missed on the first one of the Ten Commandments, have no other gods before me, right? So God would have probably zapped him right there. But because of David and what David had done, God spared Solomon to finish his reign. So if, if, if you're a man or a woman and you have children and you think what you do does not affect what they do, you're absolutely wrong. If you think that doesn't affect how God has mercy on them, you are wrong. Because of David, Solomon, in his adultery, in his worship of idols, God let him finish his reign. Okay? So, just an extra, that's an that's extra bonus there. But anyway, he, fa he failed the first commandment. And so, at the end of Solomon's reign, the great kingdom of Israel was divided in pieces. Right? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Makes sense. We don't know much, I, I don't know that we've ever been taught a whole lot about Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, that kind of stuff. But the, the Northern Kingdom, uh, you divide and conquer, right? So the Northern Kingdom only lasted another 200 years, 210 years, before the Assyrians came in and wiped them out, right? The Southern Kingdom lasted about 350 years before the Babylonians came in and wiped them out. We having a good history lesson now? We good? Everybody? everybody oh. So, so they, those people were taken in, most of them were taken into captivity, and um, the, these are really hard times for all of those people, right? I mean, you, your nation has been taken over, your army, you, you, you're uh, under somebody else's rule. But just like Israel fell, the Assyrians fell, and the Babylonians fell. So as those other countries fell, the Jews 
migrated back to Jerusalem, rebuilt the wall, rebuilt the temple. That's where we, we, we hear about Ezra and Nehemiah and those people rebuilding the city, right? And so, so it's interesting, though, from the start of the divided kingdom until the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, it was about 500 years, 500 years. That consists of most of the Bible. Most of the Bible is written in that piece right there. All of the, almost all of the prophets that we know of, that we can think of, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all those people prophesied during that time. But during that 500-year period, there was really nothing that had solved the sin problem, right? There's still no change. The, the, the uh, law that he gave to Moses is still the law to go by. The sin sacrifices that they had are still the sin sacrifices they have. So they don't have a solution. These prophets, almost all these prophets spoke <clears throat> excuse me, to the disobedience of the Jewish people and then the consequences of that disobedience. Almost all. But they also spoke of hope. They spoke of a coming Messiah. Right? This now, now we're moving towards a solution for the sin problem. Right? Make sense so far? Good. Let's read about Christmas. Luke. Where am I at? Ever heard this before? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Stephen, if you spit in this. And this was the first census that took place while whoever that guy is, Quirinthus, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. See, David, David reaches a long ways, you know what I mean? His lineage reaches a long way. And he went there to register with Mary, who had pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. <clears throat> so this <clears throat> so this Jesus was born. Right? right now nobody, the shepherds and maybe a few others, understand who he is, but for the most part, nobody does. All right, Luke Luke chapter three. And now when Jesus this is this is about 30 years later, and while all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying, and the heavens was opened. 
And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, <clears throat> whom I love. With you I am well pleased. <clears throat> now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, and he was the son, so it was thought, of David and the son of Heli. So Jesus now... <clears throat> Is starting his ministry, okay? And Jesus went about healing. I mean, we all know the stories about all the miracles that he did and all the people that he healed. And he was very popular with the people, right? But he was also very unpopular with the chief priests and the church leaders and that kind of stuff. They thought he was trying to usurp their authority uh, kind of put them out of work. I mean, what, whatever. They wanted him gone, right? They wanted him dead, right? Dead. So, here we go. So, they were eventually able to get enough false witnesses and that kind of stuff and get the attention of the Romans. And so, they brought charges against him. All right? Now, it's time for the eggs. Ready? Here we go. I need somebody to get eggs. Let's go. Egg, egg. Egg, egg, Tommy. Remember? We talked about it. Stand up. We're going to be Pentecostal. I stand up here? No, you don't. Take an egg, William. There you go, Tanya. There you go. We got it now. Don't open it. Don't open it. Might be the prize egg. You can never tell. All right, here we go. Um, the green egg. Who's got the green egg? Green egg. Open up the green egg. Tommy, tell me what you got, baby. Thumbtack. So, so you got to remember, this, is, this, is, this part in history is, this is the last few days that Jesus is alive, right? So that's a clue. Thumbtack. What do you think it is? What do you think it means? Anybody? No, not yet. Crown of Thorns. Lynn's cheating. She was at Bible school. <laughs> hey, here we go. Uh, John 19. We got it. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. So that's the crown of thorns. That's what the tack means, the crown of thorns. Who's got the blue egg? Yeah, that's blue. blue, that's blue, baby. Tell me what you got on there. Cross. You got a cross. Now we're to the cross. All right, now we're going to skip over to 1916. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the, children, the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is in Arabic, it's called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. 
And Pilate had a notice prepared, and it was fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So they crucified him. I mean, you know, the Romans, they were some bad dudes, right? I mean, they took over places like Israel and stuff like that, and, as long, and they put their kind of their own people in, in charge. But as long as you paid your taxes, didn't cause any trouble, any of that kind of stuff, they left you alone. But if you messed with them, they came in hard. They came in killing people. They came in doing whatever. And so this crucifixion thing, if you can imagine driving nails in people's hands and in their feet and just hanging them up there until they basically suffocate, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know how you could torture people any more than that. They were some bad dudes, right? I mean, th that, was a, that was a good reminder that you need to go home and mind your own business, right? All right, so we got the blue egg out of the way. The yellow egg. Who's got the yellow egg? What have we got in the yellow egg? A piece of cloth. Oh, what could that be? After he, was di after he died, what would happen? They wrapped him in cloth, didn't they? Yes, here we go. Later, here we go, um, 1938. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had early visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it, that piece of cloth right there, and then with the spices and strips of linen, and that was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. So We're getting there, aren't we? Now, the orange, the orange one. What do we have? What do we have? What does it look like? Is a stone? What do you think that means? Stone, a couple of things, right? It's, it's a tomb, right, in the rock, right? And the, and the stone that they rolled in front of the door, right? And so where am I at? 1941. And they play at, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb, that stone, in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was already nearby, they laid Jesus there. So that's where they put Jesus, in, in the tomb, okay? All right. Now. 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 Now we're going to be Pentecostal. Who's got the purple head, Mary Page? Open that, that thing. Say what? Nothing in, it. Nothing in it. You mean it's what? Empty. empty. I didn't hear what you said. What would you say, Bill? It's empty. It's empty. The, the what? What? The tomb is empty. Mike Carr, tell me. 
it's empty. This is the most significant event in the history of the world. Hold on. I'm going to get there. This is the most significant event in the history of the world. The tomb is empty. So, what is it? Um, John 20. We ready? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. That's the stone again. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. And so they were both running, but the other disciple outran outran Jesus and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there. You remember your strips of linen? They're still lying there, but it did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. He went straight into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head and the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and believed. What did he believe? He believed what? Anybody know? Jesus had risen. Jesus had risen. So what does that all mean? Let's turn to Hebrews. What does that all mean? Jesus is not there. Like I said, this is the most significant event in the history of the world, period. No question. Because now, Jesus, remember, God set up the rules with Moses to have blood sacrifices where we cover the sins of the people, right? We go back to Adam, the sin problem of the, that Adam created, right? God there was a gap between God and man. Now God has offered up his son. You know, God so loved the world that he, right. He's now offered his son as a sacrifice. If they would have opened that tomb and Jesus would have been there, then the whole of this means nothing. He had to rise from the dead he had to present himself as a sacrifice a perfect sacrifice once and for all all time he had to do that I still like the tomb was empty but but when Christ came as a high priest of good things that are now already here he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle it's not made with human hands. That's not like the old one was, right? Not like the tabernacle used to be where they offered the blood sacrifice. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all 
by his own blood, thus obtaining a eternal redemption. Eternal redemption for who? Us. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? And for this reason, Christ is the mediator. That means he's the guy in charge. He's the lawyer in charge of the new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise, the promised internal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And what does that mean to us? Well, I got excited with this. I, I, I hope y'all got something out of this. What does that mean to us? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him to the dead, you will be saved. Amen. 9, 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, justified just as if you had never sinned. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Period. And he testifies to these things. Whoops, wait, I'm going ahead. Got me, got me, cat. So everybody, everybody has the opportunity to be born again. But we'd run it over, aren't we? It's good. But this is not our final resting place, right? Where we're at. One day... Jesus will return. Some of us will be gone on before he's back. But so I can get all the way to Revelations. I'm going to read Revelations 22:20, 20. And he said, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I went over. Boy, I had fun. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your ultimate sacrifice that you would send your son to die for us to, to, to solve that sin problem that existed since the time of Adam. And Father, as we enter this Easter season, we remember that the tomb was empty. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.